Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message by Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. Well, if you'll take just a moment to find your way back to your seat. Once again, we just want to welcome you. I'm Chris Valdez. I'm the senior pastor here at New Covenant Church. If you don't know who I am, again, if you're new to NCC, we invite you to get one of those gift bags on your way out this morning. Again, uh, just want to pick up where Mike left off. We want to welcome uh, Kiva Cohen. Uh, he's part of the Gesher Forum Ministry that we've supported uh, for uh, for many years. It's a ministry in Israel. He's uh, uh, ministers out of Israel, and he and his family are are here in the states for a few months uh, for several things. And I'll let him uh, share more about that. But will you please welcome Akiva this morning? Well, thank you, Pastor Chris, Pastor Daryl. Good morning. Well, you all know how to praise the Lord here in Texas. Oh, yeah. I feel like the Lord's uh, in my spirit when I worship in Texas. Um, that word, a word for the devil, don't mess with the saints in Texas. Amen? You guys know how to worship. Well, I'm blessed to be here. Thank you for having me back. Um, Susan, my wife, who's with me, as Pastor Chris said, um, sends her greetings and love and Appreciation for your partnership over the years. There's no way we could be touching lives uh, in Israel without partners like you, so thank you. Um, if you don't get our e-letter, we know that prayer is the engine that drives ministry. So we'd really appreciate your prayers. If you want to just throw an email on one of these cards out on the table on your way out, we'd love to send you our, our ministry updates. So um, I'm so happy to be here. I love coming uh, to this church, and it's a beautiful thing to see how your leadership transition is in place and um, I got, I mentioned to the, the early service, I got on your website last night and um, I started listening to a little bit of um, Pastor Darrell's sermons and I think I want to listen to a whole series on prayer. <laughs> I got a lot to learn there, but I started listening to it and I'm like, man, where's my app? I got to get an app when I preach. <laughs> I mean, your pastors know how to preach and Chris really knows how to preach and teach too. I was uh, just started listening to a series on marriage and it's like, you know, I'm Jewish. I grew up with the Shema. That's the hero Israel, Deuteronomy 6.4. It's like, getting revelation on, oh, that's what you meant, Lord, about my loving God with all my heart to model that for my sons. Okay, I wish I would have had that earlier. But anyway, no, you guys are blessed with your leadership. I'm honored to be here and share. So as you can see, I'm going to share on looking back will help us see forward with 2020 vision. I know Pastor Darrell's already um, preached a few things on the new year, but here we are still in the new part of the new year and the new decade when I think back on, you know, previous decades, who could have foreseen um, late 80s and the 90s that God and his sovereignty would, would bring communism down and all that meant for the gospel? And who knows what he's going to be doing in this decade, but I want to focus in on uh, how we can be encouraged for what he wants to do in us and in our communities in this, in this year. So um, we're going to take a walk through, I'm calling it a, a graveyard, uh, and by that I mean uh, to look at some epitaphs, some inscriptions on some of the saints who've come before us so we can be encouraged. And this is um, my reference to Hebrews chapter 11, okay? Uh, As a Jewish believer, um, it's especially a section of Scripture. uh, As Jewish believers, we really are blessed with when we first come to the Lord because it helps us to connect with seeing what we've um, come into. So if you're uh, in Messiah, in in Christ this morning, um, you are uh, connected to God. I'm calling this in a way that uh, his heavenly GPS system is uh, your connection. And that's what we're going to see in the lives of these saints 
who were connected to God and they looked strange to their neighbors, I guess, but they weren't flowing to the spirit of the world. They had another um, connection, God's connection that motivated their lives. Um, So real quick, the uh, context of this letter, obviously being the letter to the Hebrews, is that it was apparently Jewish believers predominantly, and they'd been through some stuff. So the author tells us in chapter 10, verse 32, he calls them to remember those earlier days after you'd received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. So they'd been through some stuff. They'd paid a price for their faith to make a stand for Yeshua, as we call him in Israel, Jesus. So he tells them in verse 35, don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded, but you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what he's promised. So that's the context. And again, we've come into this amazing relationship with God through Jesus. And that brings us, according to the epistle uh, to the Hebrews, into a better rest. Amen. We have a better rest than the, the saints of the Hebrew Bible had coming into the promised land with Joshua. We have better promises. We have the fulfillment side of the promises, amen, from the Hebrew Bible and a better covenant in the blood of Messiah. And of course, a better sacrifice, a better high priest. And so all of that was his way of telling this group of uh, mostly Jewish believers, you've been through so much. You have so much in, in Jesus. Don't go back to Judaism without him just to escape suffering. So that was his exhortation. But we're going to look, as I said, at chapter 11, which is the Hall of Fame or I'm calling it, and just walk through the inscriptions on the tombstones, how God commended these saints and summarized their lives in just a few words. So we don't have time, unless you want me to cut into your uh, barbecue or your, your football, uh, to tell you all about every saint in this chapter. So I'm just going to do a quick survey to get to Abraham with you. So if we just think about some of the saints in this chapter, we begin with Abel, and the uh, Bible tells us that he pleased God through his offering. And it wasn't because there was anything magical about his offering or because even it was a blood offering. It was because of his righteous life that stood behind that offering that he was presenting to God, the righteousness he had by walking with God in obedience. And Hanoch, as we call him, Enoch, uh, he was in such a deep place with God. He had such a great quiet time one morning. He just walked right into the presence of God and skipped death. That's a pretty good testimony, amen? Uh, now, Noah, of course, um, we have to exert our imagination to remember that it had not rained on the earth. And there's Noah building an ark to save his family and also judge uh, the world. Um, And we're going to come back to Abraham. But by faith, Isaac blessed his sons, Jacob and Esau, as he was dying. And by faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed his sons. There's the generational blessing of the Hebrew Bible. Blessed his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And he prophesied over them. Uh, Joseph in Egypt prophesied that before he died that God was going to bring the exodus to pass. They'd be coming out of Egypt and that they shouldn't forget his bones on the way out. By faith, of course, Moses left the palace of the king and went, preferred rather to be with the despised Hebrews, despised by the Egyptians, and he instituted the first Pesach, we call it in Hebrew, Passover, putting the blood of the lamb on the lintel and the doorposts. So Hebrews is one long sermon, and the author acknowledges that in verse 32 of chapter 11. He says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. Because there's a whole bunch more he could have said, right? But one of our favorites, of course, is David. 
we can just dig into First and Second Samuel. There's a whole bunch he could have said. But um, again, we don't have time to look at even the list he gives us. So I'm going to focus in on Abraham. So that would be verses 8 to 12 to start with. So we read that by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. In verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Of course, Sarah was part of his story. And by faith, Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. So we could, of course, camp out on Abraham's life for for weeks. I'm sure uh, to do a whole series on his life. But I'm just going to focus on two of the most amazing aspects of his life. And the first one is his obedience to pick up and leave when God told him to. So here he is in the Ur of the, the Chaldees in modern-day Iraq by the Euphrates River. And that, of course, would have been a big urban city with lots of markets and everything he needed in life. And um, according to Jewish tradition, they were idol worshipers, even his family. And um, he's by the Euphrates. That's a source of life in the desert, right? And yet he just um, radically obeyed what God told him to leave all of that. God says to him um, in Genesis 12, uh, we call it in Hebrew when we read that in the synagogue, the Lech Lecha passage, which means going you shall go. God says to him in Genesis 12, go from your country, from your people, from your father's household to the land, I will show you. It was future tense. And he radically obeyed. He got up, left that safe place, and, uh, you know, began his trek in the desert sands away from the source of life, away from what was familiar. We we read in Hebrews 11a that he obeyed and went. It's a short phrase, but it sums up a, a big truth. He obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And that's because, as I'm suggesting, he, his life was led by God's GPS, okay, a God-positioning system that we all need to be uh, connected to. So um, with the natural eye, uh, he didn't receive much. Okay? If you read the narrative in Genesis, he received a cave that he bought for Sarah to bury his, his precious wife in. But he had done the first prayer walk up and down and back and forth on the land, and he knew that the whole land was his. The whole land was his uh, and his descendants. And furthermore, he believed he was journeying ultimately to the city of God as he walked. Now, the second amazing aspect of his life is um, as he was blowing out 100 candles on his birthday cake, he'd already been through, you know, a quarter of a century walking with God since he called him. Um, God says, you're going to have a son. Okay, and this is, of course, um, his willingness uh, to believe that God could do this in his life even though Hebrews 11:12 said, we read, that his body was as good as dead in terms of his natural abilities to, to reproduce a son. He wasn't uh, moved by that. So we read that after he, he fathered Isaac, and Isaac in Hebrew is Yitzchak, which means he laughed or he will laugh. So we're not sure if you know, Sarah was judged for laughing because um, uh, the rabbis tell us that she, she felt the biological changes happening in her body, that she was going to be able to give birth. 
Uh, it says Abraham fell on his face when, when he laughed. He also laughed when God told him. And he hadn't felt anything yet. So he just believed. But that's what the rabbi tells. Anyways, uh, maybe God got the last laugh. Maybe it's talking about he, God laughed because he knew what he was going to do. But anyway, we read in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Of course, that echoes for us the image of Jesus in the new covenant, God's one and only beloved son whom he sacrificed. And of course, he had, you know, Ishmael through Hagar, but this was the son of promise. This wasn't um, sin in his life. God had told him he had, he had to get rid of, as God tells us sometimes using to John 15, the husbandman comes and says, you know, we've got to cut this out. We've got to cut this out. It's going to be fruitful. This is the promise. Everything God had told him and he'd radically obeyed to bring forth his son. God says, now take that. Do you really trust me? Take that and put that on the altar. So we're reading again in Hebrews 11, um, verse 18. Even though God had said to him, he was willing to sacrifice Isaac. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Now this harkens back to the story in Genesis 22. So I'm going to read a, some verses from this actual narrative that the epistle to the Hebrews is referring back to. So in Genesis 22, we read, Sometime later, as we just heard from Hebrews, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham. And Abraham says to him, Hineni, here I am. And God says, Take your son, your only son whom you love, Yitzchak, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. And I couldn't resist to put in that footnote that I always find this passage amazing because that place where God told him to sacrifice Isaac, which really foreshadows the whole sacrificial system, and of course Jesus' sacrifice, was the place of the Temple Mount, according to Jewish tradition. And even according to Scripture, we have a hint there. Um, he tells him, go to the region of Moriah. And I just threw in that Scripture reference in Second Chronicles 3.1 where it tells us that's where Solomon built the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, on Mount Moriah. That's where the temple was built. So sometimes our radical obedience, we may not understand why God's calling us to do something, but he obviously sowed something in the spirit that in some way prepared the way for the sacrifices that we're going to come after and also for the sacrifice for those of you who have been to Israel. It's the Arab bus station today, just outside the old city, the Temple Mount area, where Jesus was sacrificed at Golgotha. So he's, he's going to carry out this amazing um, act, also a prophetic act. He gets up in verse 3. We're back in Genesis 22, verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loads his donkey, takes two servants and his son, Yitzhak, Isaac, and he looks up and he sees the place in the distance, and he says to his servants, Mount Moriah, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. And he says this amazing thing. He says, we will worship there in the mountain, and then we will come back to you. So that's something, of course, we're going to hear about. How could he say that? So we read in verse 6, um, uh, Abraham takes the wood, and places it on his son Isaac. And I like to share that, you know, when the rabbis, the rabbis love to play with scripture. They do these little homilies. They're called midrash in Hebrew, little spin on verses. And they, when they come to the Lord, I've already seen some of this happen in Israel. When they come to the Lord, they are going to have a field day with Jesus in the Old Testament. So um, this is, to me, sound, looks like Jesus. Here's Abraham putting the wood on Isaac, like a cross, and he's carrying it to go be sacrificed. So it's quite an amazing scene. I'm sure the rabbis will love that when they come to the Lord. Abraham's got the fire and the knife. They go together, and Isaac, uh, kind of smart kid, he notices something here. Um, Avi, father, yes, my son, Abraham says, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb? He's used to seeing, of course, the sacrificial animal when they go to sacrifice. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? 
then Abraham says this amazing thing. He says, we're going to see how much uh, this was a loaded statement that he made by faith. He said, God himself will provide the lamb. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And they go together. Verse 9, they reach the place. Abraham builds the altar, puts the wood on it, binds Isaac. Then he reaches out his hand to slay his son. Some of you have seen the, you know, the Rembrandt painting or some of the paintings where you see this dramatic uh, reenactment of this scene. And as he's about to sl- slit his throat uh, as a sacrificial offering, the um, angel of the Lord, verse 11 says, calls out to him, Avraham, Avraham, and stops him. He says, Hineni, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. And of course, God knows everything about us. You know, it's Psalm 139, every, every word before we speak it. So this isn't really about God getting knowledge that Abraham feared him, but it's bringing Abraham to that place he needed to come and fearing God. So sometimes that's also what's happening in our, our faith walk. Amen. We're in a hard place. God wants us to bring us into a deeper place of reverence for him. Verse 13, Abraham looks up in the thicket. He sees a ram caught by its horns. He goes over, takes it, and sacrifices it instead of his son Isaac. And so he calls the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And boy, was it ever provided. And um, we read back in Hebrews then, chapter 11, verse 18. His narrative is just interweaved. Even though God said to him, it's through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned, Abraham reasoned, as he's walking with Isaac to Mount Moriah, that God could even raise him from the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, it was like a picture of of Jesus' resurrection. He did receive Isaac back from the dead in a manner of speaking because he knew even if he killed him, God would have to resurrect him to fulfill his promise that all the nations of the families of the world, as far as Texas, would be blessed through through his son. Amen? So um, as I mentioned... um, Golgotha is right by the Temple Mount where Jesus himself would be sacrificed. And even more amazing is how could he say, going back to that statement he made, got to Isaac, God himself, it's almost like there's a play on words there, you know, God will provide himself, God himself will provide a lamb. And uh, there's this amazing verse, just jumping to John chapter 8, verse 56, where Jesus explains that to us. And Jesus says here in John 8:56. Your father, speaking to the Jewish people he was talking to, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. And it wasn't just the thought of seeing Jesus' day, because Jesus goes on and says, and he saw it and was glad. Isn't that amazing? So I don't know if he saw Jesus on the cross as that you know, ram was caught in the thicket, but he saw something. He saw Jesus' day, and he rejoiced that God had a lamb that he would provide. So that's quite an amazing verse. So, you know, again, I love jumping into the, the book of Hebrews at the beginning of a year or here at the beginning of a decade as well, because we can look back, as I said, to be able to see more clearly in our walk looking forward. So by doing that, you know, enjoy Hebrews 11. It's a great chapter to dive into yourself and your quiet time. And we'll see, you see there from Abel, right, the first, uh, you could say, a martyr for God, all the way up to the present time, uh, to Jesus and to the present time, the saints that have gone before us. So um, the author sums it up in verse 13 of Hebrews 11, that um, they had an amazing faith. And if you're struggling, as uh, you know, I've had a challenge with my special needs son. We came here for him to get some medical attention. And I'm still like, God, are you sure you're on time with his healing? <laughs> you sure he, he, something didn't slip off your calendar? But um, we got to hold on and persevere in faith because we read in verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. 
They died in faith. They did not have the fulfillment of the promises of that which God spoke to them, but they saw them with their spiritual eyes. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. And then this interesting point, verse 39, that they were all commended for their faith. God gave them this testimony we've just been listening to about their lives. Yet none of them received what he'd been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, that's me and you. God has something, planned something better for us, and that is, of course, the new covenant with Yeshua, with Jesus, so that only together with us they be made perfect. So they're waiting for us to finish our race. They've given us the baton, as it were. And so we are uh, in the race that, that they're in. And there may be also, um, you know, people, of course, this takes us up to Jesus, we're going to see in a minute, this uh, great chapter of the Hall of Fame of the Saints of Faith. But uh, there's people since Jesus that God may have used in your own lifetime who've been an encouragement to you. And that's also at the beginning of a new year, a good thing to, to look back on and be grateful for to God. So I'll just mention two in my life that God used as I think back, as I want to look forward into 2020. One is definitely um, from a meeting I went to when I, I was a one-year-old in the Lord, and I was asked to, invited to come to a meeting. I went to the meeting in the small hall, and I saw this elderly man. He didn't have any shoes on, and he went up to the pulpit, kind of walking like this. I'm like, oh, what's this all about? And he got up, and when he opened his mouth, I was almost in tears. It was just these pearls of love for God started coming out of his mouth, these pearls of love for Jesus. And it turns out it was Richard Wembrandt. Some of you know of him. started an amazing ministry called um, The Martyrs, Martyrs for Christ. Well, he wrote a book called um, Tortured for Christ. It's worth reading. It's hard reading it. But he was in a Romanian prison for 14 years under communism. And the reason he didn't have shoes on at that meeting is he had uh, been beaten for 14 years on the soles of his feet as part of his torture. Um, so he's an incredible man. And I'll just give you an example of the kind of thing he shares in his book because uh, he set the standard so high for those of us who, who were blessed to encounter him. He says, um, we know about the love of Christ toward the communists by our own love towards them. I've seen Christians in communist prisons with 50 pounds of chains on their feet, tortured with red-hot iron pokers, and whose throats spoonfuls of salt had been forced, being kept, a- kept afterward without water, starving, whipped, suffering from cold, and praying with fervor for those that were torturing them. So if that's not a picture of Christ, I don't know what is, you know. So I was very blessed. I was the only one who came up to the altar that night, but I ran up. I'm like, I want that. I want what he has. Of course, I didn't want the torture part, but uh, I've had some suffering since then, but uh, nothing even remotely approaching what he went through. A second person God used in my life was when I came to the Lord, also a year old in the faith. Um, I told my, my Jewish grandmother that I'd become a believer in Jesus. You know, that's not the best, the good news that Jewish grandmothers want their Jewish grandsons to come home with. But she was cool, you know. She said, she wasn't happy about it. She goes, well, you know, we have a believer like that in our family. And I was, I was floored. I was like, you're kidding. You know, I've, I've, my, both my parents are Jewish. I'm like, Where, we have a believer in Jesus in our Jewish family? And so she set up a meeting. I'm in my room reading the Bible for the first time and knock at the door. And I open the door and there is a sweet elderly woman, you know, white-haired, short little woman, her little handbag just beaming the glory of God at me. She goes, hi, honey, I'm your Aunt Maisie. I've been praying for your family for 50 years. And Aunt Maisie became my mother in the Lord. She became my cousin who got saved two years later, um, also firstborn son, uh, his mother in the Lord. She discipled us. And um, it was just an amazing thing. Once we were sitting with her, and um, she was looking at me and my cousin Jeff Cohen, who's an evangelist now. And um, she said, oh, Lord, that's what you meant. 
More like Jeff and I are like, what's, what's she talking about? Because God had spoken to her in her walk with God, a word she never understood. He said to her, um, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them to. Now, not that my cousin or I are Barnabas or Saul by, by any stretch of the imagination, but it meant to her when she's looking at it, she goes, Lord, now I understand what you were saying. Here are the two Jewish sons who came to faith that before she went to glory, she came to my wedding in Israel and God took her home. Um, she got to disciple us. We got to be discipled by her. She's an amazing woman of faith. And God, Jews for Jesus put out a book on her life called Dared to Believe, the story of my Aunt Maisie. And uh, she was an amazing woman of God. So I don't know who God's used in your life. Um, sometimes there's people who've prayed for you. You'll never know until you get to heaven. But we're here because of uh, the faithful walk of those who've come before us and those who've um, paid a price and who've also prayed us into the kingdom. So we want to run our race well, and we're going to end this message this morning then with um, the pinnacle of uh, the Hall of Fame with Jesus himself. And if you've been to Israel, I've had fun talking with your pastors about their time in Israel. You know at the garden tomb, that's where Jesus' so-called you know, tomb is. Um, there's a sign that says, he's not here. <laughs> you came to the wrong place if you're looking for him, right? Uh, he's risen, Amen. And so Hebrews 12 ends with this exhortation to us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all the saints who've come before us and those who've played a role in our own lives, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter, amen, of our faith. So as we um, serve God in this new year and this new decade, uh, we want to look back, but not keep our look back. We want to look forward, amen, to 2020 uh, with eyes of faith, right? We want to see all the great things God's going to do through us. And I love, I mentioned in the morning service, the um, uh, balance and the rich teaching of, of this community. I love on your website, you're summing it up with know, hear, and respond. You can't do any better than that. So that's what we want to do, amen, as we walk out of here in, into 2020. We want to know him. We want to hear his word to us, and we want to respond. We want to persevere and run our race well. We want to be connected to God's uh, positioning system. And sometimes, you know, we've got to be in the word every day. I know your pastors model that. So we can, you know, recalibrate, recalibrate when we're going the wrong way because God has some amazing things he wants to do in and through us individually, as families, as a community uh, in the coming year. Amen? So God bless you. Um, uh, persevere in your walk of faith, and you will be rewarded. Amen? Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.